How's it going, everybody? You're listening to All on the Field. As always, I am Arthur. And again, this is a solo week. We are Kevinless. It is the tragedy that continues week after week. Um, Kevin and I are figuring out the remote recording situation. We will definitely be recording during this next week. Um, so that next week's episode will include the man, the legend himself. I will make sure to have him back on air. Uh, but this week, you're stuck with me. Uh, so, as has been the vibe the past couple weeks, um, we'll just keep going through some stories that I have found to be interesting uh, talking points that have popped up over the past week. First thing I wanted to talk about is a follow-up to something we discussed a couple weeks ago when we were talking about um, various athletes in their relationship to um, the country of China uh, with regard to uh, various social issues and uh, some weird political silencing stuff going on. Um, and at the end of that episode, I discussed a little bit uh, some thoughts leading into the uh, Beijing 2022 Olympic Winter Games, which are coming up here in February. Um, if you're a sports fan watching sports in North America, um, in the United States, and you watch anything on NBC, they've already started heavily, heavily advertising those February timing games. Um, at the time when those happen, there's also going to be the Super Bowl for the NFL. And so there's lots of, uh, I don't know, hype videos talking about overlap between Winter Olympics and, you know, the biggest game in football that happens every year. And NBC is very, very happy to have these things happening all at once uh, because I'm sure that that is a lot of money for them. The specific topic I wanted to talk about now is um, how China, as they host these games and have foreign travelers in mass in the country, um, are going to be sort of locking down the behavior of those visitors and um, some thoughts about how that's probably going to look during the games. It's going to be a little bit interesting to see how, um, you know, the general propaganda machine handles these events. So uh, what had me thinking about this was a New York Times article that came out. You can look it up yourself if you'd like. Uh, the title of the article is China Tells Winter Olympic Spectators to Clap, Not Cheer for Athletes, and Xi'an, a Major City, Locks Down. And the content of the article is discussing um, things that China's doing as precautions ahead of the Olympic Games as Omicron starts to spread you know, globally. Um, and one of the things that they're uh, going to be requiring people to do is during the Games... They um, do not want people vocally, auditorily doing any cheering or yelling or whatever in support of their athletes. Um, they want people to just clap, um, which I think to um, people in the West who have watched like strange propagandized media films about like Eastern Bloc countries in the 80s might end up looking a little bit strange if it's a people like standing there clapping silently with like, I don't know, it'll be a weird look. We'll see how it goes. Um, the rest of the article also talks about things that China's doing, um, to prepare for having uh, a ton of foreign nationals and visitors who are people who have traveled globally and are therefore COVID risks, um, you know, entering the country. Um, so one of the things it discusses is how during this week, um, because of some COVID cases that happened in the city, a city of 13 million people, uh, they're claiming that there were 242 COVID cases there and they effectively locked down the city. Um, you know, China has been apparently successful controlling COVID by just quarantining like 
you know, hundreds and thousands of people who are contacts of people who test positive or contacts of contacts of people who test positive. Um, but obviously like mass quarantine and things like that would make it pretty hard to hold the Olympics. Um, and so China's starting to outline what will be required in terms of behavior and limitations for athletes, coaches, spectators, um, at the Olympics in terms of spectators, there are no, um, international just fans allowed to go. You can't go to China to watch the Olympics. If you're just a fan who wants to hop on a plane and buy a ticket, the people who are allowed in the country are, you know, athletes, trainers, coaches, support staff, whatever. Um, and when they're at the games, the Olympic village model is going to be kind of ramped up to 11. Um, you know, normally during an Olympic games, the host city builds like hotels and restaurants and all this infrastructure for the athletes and their support staff to use during the games. But in this case in China, they are setting it up very much like a closed loop system where, um, like between the hotels and the sporting venues and like some support facilities, you know, restaurants and supply stores and whatever, um, the athletes are not allowed to leave this very narrowly defined bubble of locations. And in some cases, there will be like physical barriers between the athletes in this bubble who are allowed in the country um, without having to do a massive, ridiculous quarantine process and like the general public of the city. So they're trying to keep this, you know, Olympic bubble separate from the city like from Beijing, where the games are actually being held. Um, so like one of the examples this article gave was uh, plastic sheeting separating bus drivers from the passengers in the bus. And so the passengers in the bus are the people inside this closed loop that are only allowed to go between particular Olympic-related venues. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see. What this had me thinking about um, outside of specifically this article, though, was that, you know, w- with what we talked about a couple weeks ago, um, with uh, the World Tennis Association and uh, the pressure they were putting on uh, the Chinese government and, you know, Chinese, whatever, organized tennis events. Um, the Chinese, like, government propaganda machine had been spinning pretty aggressively to try to discredit the sexual assault allegations that had been made um, by the player who the WTA was protecting with their actions. And Obviously, China is super, super committed to um, having the Olympic Games look like a successful event, both successful in terms of like, you know, this is China putting on a good face for the world for just a recreational activity, but also from the perspective of COVID spreading, um, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, right now in North America, um, NFL teams have huge numbers of players on COVID lists. The New Orleans Saints played today, and I believe that 20 of their normal players were in COVID protocol. And so they had dudes who had been like signed to the practice squad yesterday and then immediately called up to the active roster today to play in the game so that they could field a team to play in you know a Monday night football game, which is a big deal. In the NHL, they're currently on their break. 
um, from COVID. They'll be coming back in a couple days to resume. You know, they extended their holiday break because teams were just getting overwhelmed with COVID cases. Um, so it, it seems really, really probable that inside this Olympic bubble, even though there is going to be daily PCR testing. And even though you have to pass a test and be vaccinated to come into the country, to go to the games, like there's definitely going to be some positive cases. And despite their best efforts, it seems like the probability that they're able to completely isolate this Olympic bubble from the real world it just seems really, really unlikely that this is going to happen. I don't know if anybody's modeled like how well the Olympic bubble, sorry, how well the NBA playoff bubble would have worked if we had had something that spreads as enthusiastically as Omicron seems to. But, you know, there's going to be two stories here. One is going to be how effective are they at limiting spread inside the bubble? Two is going to be how effective are they, if there is an outbreak inside the bubble, at limiting spread to other people who are in China, you know, other citizens, other support staff, bus drivers that they're talking about, this kind of thing. And then I guess a third story is going to be, um, you know, how long is it going to be if this does happen before there's a disagreement between, you know, the athletic agency for a given country and, you know, the Chinese wing of the, you know, International Olympic Committee when, you know, whatever the, you know, hosting group says, oh, no, there's no COVID concern. We're not scared. Everything's under control. Everything's fine. And the, you know, Olympic group for some country says that this is a disaster. We have all these athletes testing positive, spread is uncontrolled, whatever. Um, what's the budding of heads going to look like if that sort of thing happens? So it's something to keep your eye on as you're watching the Olympics. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I noted that it seems that with a lot of the stuff, it might be kind of difficult to enjoy the games. It's definitely going to be weird. It's going to be a weird event. It's probably going to feel a lot like last year's games in Japan where, you know, fans weren't really allowed to be there and it was a weird muted tone and it kind of felt like maybe it wasn't necessarily worth it to do all this, but hopefully it can be a lot of fun. Hopefully there can be some, you know, magical moments. Um, you know, some of my favorite moments in sports history have happened at various Olympic games over the past, oh, you know, 12 years or so. Um, so we'll see. Hopefully it, it's all good times, but keep your eyes on, on those, uh, particular stories. Um, yeah, the next thing I wanted to talk about was, uh, the NHL seemingly actually doing something to help uh, with the COVID situation that teams and athletes are facing. You know, the issue on last week's episode that I discussed was how the NFL was seeming to really inequitably hand down their decisions about which games would be postponed and how it was affecting negatively certain teams. Um, you know, like I said, tonight on Monday Night Football, Despite 20 positive COVID cases, the New Orleans Saints were expected to play a game and they managed to get a team together that was semi-competent and showed up and played. Um, that same requirement was not given to teams a couple weeks ago when teams had, you know, 20-ish positive or 20-ish players in the COVID protocol and games were rescheduled from Sunday to Monday and Tuesday. Um, the NHL 
decided to just take a break. They were planning on doing a little winter holiday break anyway. Um, they decided that they would just cancel, postpone, reschedule a bunch of games and pause the league for five or six days to let teams, you know, get a handle on their outbreaks, send players home for the holidays for, you know, Christmas to hang out with their families and change some of the league rules to make the rest of the season, you know, possible to actually pull off. Um, so they reintroduced taxi squads, which are a mechanism where basically um, a team can have a roster of like six players who are not really on the team. They're just players that they can call in really, really easily to play. And the NHL has weird salary cap rules where like if a player's hurt for a single game, it doesn't count against the salary cap. So the taxi squad's set up so that it doesn't screw with the like ridiculous fine tuning that NHL teams have to do to meet salary cap restrictions. But the actual detail isn't that important. What's important is that the NHL seems to actually be doing things to try to make the sport work. Um, the NFL, in my personal opinion, has failed in this regard. Um, they've inequitably um, levied penalties against players that broke COVID protocol. They have been handing these postponements to certain teams and not to other teams on a seemingly arbitrary basis. Uh, it just hasn't been a good look. They haven't gotten a hold on things. The culture in the league seems to be a little bit toxic with regard to what people's opinions are on COVID. And yeah, it's just a, it's a shitty situation. But the NHL um, is doing a lot better. You know, I don't know if you guys are aware, but the NHL has every player in the league vaccinated except for one. The one holdout is on the Detroit Red Wings. His name is Tyler Bertuzzi. And a fun news story about a week ago was that an opposing player, uh, they got in a little bit of a tiff as hockey players do. You know, there was a hit and they were just chirping at each other, barking back and forth, talking some trash. And the trash talk line, the opposing player yelled at Tyler Bertuzzi was go get vaccinated, which I thought was prime. But every player in the league vaccinated except for one is a really impressive metric. And, um, you know, them doing this little postponement, just saying, hey, we're just going to pause the league for a few days, get a hold on things, make some changes and get this thing rolling forward. I think it's a good look. Um, you know, I appreciate that um, they're willing to sacrifice scheduling and sacrifice these, you know, really arbitrary details that we put a lot of value on. And instead, just make it so that teams can responsibly handle the situation. Um, now, there's a lot to be said, like, okay, if a team has an outbreak and they have to call up all six players on their taxi squad, is that a responsible situation? I don't know. But it's definitely better than the kind of nonsense that other leagues are putting their players through. And it's clear that they're being thoughtful about this um, and sort of proceeding forward as best they uh, possibly can. So, yeah, props to the NHL, and uh, we appreciate we appreciate that. The last thing I wanted to talk about was from a sporting event that happened actually just a few hours ago as of recording this. Um, tonight was a game between the Utah Jazz and the San Antonio Spurs. I'm a Utah Jazz fan, so this immediately came onto my radar, um, but the overarching point has a, a bigger scope than that. So normal Monday night game, nothing crazy on the court itself happened. The Jazz won 110 to 104. Go Jazz. Woo. Hooray. Um the event that made broader news was that during the game, 
Jordan Clarkson, who's a fantastic bench player, sixth man of the year candidate. Um, he had to be held back by teammates at one point because a fan that had been heckling him throughout the game um, took things a little bit too far. And Jordan Clarkson actually like, you know, s- s- wanted to start a physical altercation with this fan. Um, basically, he said that what the fan said was a little too malicious and crossed the line. Um, and in the comments Jordan made after the game, um, he said that there was a back and forth between him and this fan and like the guy was taunting him and then basically saying like, what are you going to do about it over and over? Um, and he said, quote, this guy was just a little too malicious with whatever he was saying. And at one point I just kind of blacked out and I was taking a step towards him. I don't want no problems with nobody. I'm in the league and I make a lot of money and he's not going to lose any money. He goes on to say kind of funnily, like, you know, any money that the league finds me, if I fight this guy is money that I could put in my daughter's pocket. And he says that she could go buy a Bugatti or something if she wants to, which uh, I appreciate. Um, the other thing though, that he highlights in his comment is he says that during the interaction, he's thinking what's going on. Literally, there was a guy sitting next to him the whole game saying stuff, doing stuff, but I knew it was playful. Me and him kept winking at each other. And so to Jordan Clarkson during the game, there was this obvious juxtaposition between two rowdy heckling fans. One had the acceptable attitude of being like the hometown fan playfully giving the opposing player a hard time. And the other guy was just like offensively, aggressively, way over aggressively, like heckling him in a way that was really, really inappropriate. Um, He mentions another time in his comments that there was another guy that was doing the same thing, but with him, like Clarkson knew that it wasn't harmful. Like they were just joking or whatever. Um, You know, as a Utah Jazz fan over the past couple of years, I've been very cognizant of this because of the situation with Russell Westbrook in Utah, where some fans were saying, like heckling Russell Westbrook in a racist way. And, The outcome of that was that, um, one, a bunch of fans, not a bunch, some fans got banned for life from jazz games. Two was that Utah jazz fans sort of have this bad reputation now of being like a racist fan group. And three was that a lot of people walked away from that situation with this mindset that any interaction that a fan has with a player is unacceptable, inappropriate. You can't talk to players. You're not supposed to say anything to them. Um, If you're a hometown fan, you should just cheer for your own team and you can't do this other stuff. Jordan Clarkson's comments, I think, highlight specifically that that's not necessarily the case and that there is a difference between fun, hometown, like playful chirping of an opposing uh, player and like just being an aggressive asshole who's like effectively trying to start a fight. Um, you know, I know that certainly when I was in probably in high school, going to some high school games, um, there were definitely times where I was just like trying to be rowdy and it becomes more about like the spectacle of being the most ridiculous trying to get into somebody's head rather than just supporting your team. Like, I'm definitely not proud of those. I never did anything like racist or violent, but there are times where, you know, you just think back and you go, yeah, it's kind of a dumbass. Um, you know, as we get to a place, hopefully in the coming months where 
really everybody feels safe going to sporting events and cheering on and drinking and having a grand old time in an arena with, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 people, whatever. Worth keeping in mind that, you know, in a lot of these sectors of life where people have been pushed back together into the same place, like tempers have been flaring up, you know, we see it on planes, we see it on like all sorts of venues where, uh, people are getting aggressive and weird. And as we go back to sporting events, uh, you know, have fun, do the trash talking, but recognize where that line is and where it's no longer okay to like, just be an aggressive douche, uh, when you're talking shit to an opposing fan or an opposing player. Um, obviously players recognize that there's a difference. I think most fans recognize where that line is. And when you do the thing where you cross the line, you know, these people are making their, you know, teams look bad. We were talking about this in an episode a few weeks ago with Kevin, where we were talking about um, fans chanting MVP, MVP, MVP after Nikola Jokic uh, charged into the back of uh, Markeith Morris uh, after Markeith Morris gave him a hard foul. And the fans theoretically were like, chanting mvp at a player when another player could have been injured lying down on the court in the end he was fine and in the end it was kind of a just a ridiculous situation all around but those fans looked really dumb in the moment you know jazz fans as a whole looked really really shitty when there was the racist stuff with russell westbrook and spurs fans tonight look kind of dumb in my eyes they look you know kind of like a collectively bunch of jackasses now obviously this is not that big a deal i'm that's, you know, nothing's going to stick from this in terms of reputation, but you know, this guy makes his entire kind of sports community look crappy. Um, so keep all that stuff in mind as we get to go back to sports things. Um, we know none of this is going to be happening at the Olympics because there will be no fans and you're not allowed to say anything. Uh, you can only clap, but, uh, for other sports in the future, it's a uh, worth, worth keeping in mind. In the last thing I just wanted to talk about very, very briefly, there's not a whole lot here. Uh, but for those of you who are, uh, fans of terrible sports commentary, uh, it is absolutely the holiday season, the time to be thankful for that kind of nonsense coming up here, uh, starting tomorrow, or I guess starting today as this is published is, uh, NCAA like bowl week marathon leading up to, um, the NCAA national championship, uh, semifinal games. Uh, so I believe today, Tuesday, there are like five or six or seven NCAA bowl games. What that means for fans is that all the various networks have to put together a billion commentary teams to do commentary for all these games. And you get commentary from speakers who it seems like maybe have literally never watched a college football game. Like the quality of discourse and like play-by-play analysis you will see during these games seems as if they maybe actually just grabbed two random fans from the entry gates like put them in like the makeup booth and threw them into the studio to do the play-by-play and color commentary for these games it's always ridiculous it's always insane um i will be definitely tweeting along with some of these games uh, to point out some of these ridiculous moments as they happen. So if you're interested in any of that, uh, follow the Twitter at AOTF pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, and yeah, just get excited for college bowl nonsense week. Uh, it's going to be a lot of mediocre football with star players who are declaring for the draft sitting out. But I personally think that's wonderful. 
one particular game that I'm interested in is uh, Washington State versus Central Michigan. Uh, Washington State was going to play um, Miami, Florida, Miami in the game, um, but Miami had to drop out due to COVID outbreaks and Central Michigan was going to play Boise State in a different bowl game, but Boise State had to pull out due to COVID outbreaks. Um, so they rescheduled to have both these teams that were left hanging playing each other. Central Michigan, by switching over to play Washington State in this game, will be making $2.3 million for their program, as opposed to the $175,000 they were going to make in the other game. Uh, but more importantly, this game happens in like three days, four days. Uh, so these teams don't have time to prepare for each other. It's going to be very strange. In terms of like the production teams, if they, you know, normally production teams do try to like research matchups between teams going into this, there's going to be none of that. So um, my personal prediction is that this is going to be some very silly football um, with some very silly commentary. So get excited for that over the next couple of weeks and maybe we'll have some good meme worthy stuff. With that, I'm going to close it down. Um, As I said, you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at AOTF Pod. You can follow me personally on Twitter at King Arthur HS. You can follow Kevin at K2 underscore Rocky. Those will all be linked in the show notes. And uh, yeah, guys, hope everybody had a wonderful, wonderful holidays with their families. Happy New Year's coming up to everyone. Happy Kwanzaa. Merry Christmas. Um, you know, enjoy the good sports. Uh, stay safe out there, especially if you're traveling over the next few days, it's getting wild with plane cancellations and all sorts of stuff. So be careful, mask up, uh, stay safe and hope to see you in the new year with Kevin joining me back here on the pod. Thanks for all the support. Leave us a review if you'd like on Spotify or on iTunes and yeah, we'll leave it at that. Have a good one. Thank you so much and peace.